Well, as we get going here, I wanted to, uh, first of all, thank you, Michael. Uh, awesome job on just reading that. We're going to be hearing the scriptures read as we go through, just as a, a kind of a different angle on things. But we're diving in into a new series, and we're now in Exodus. We're going to be back in here for 11 weeks. And you're like, are you kidding me? 11 weeks? Yeah. I mean, I hope you get excited about it, because I'm excited about it. How many of you guys have ever watched BattleBots. Anybody know what BattleBots is? Uh, I love our church. Like the people actually raise their hands. I love BattleBots. Me and my boys have watched many times. And it's these basic uh, like robots that go after each other. And it's a big giant robot fight. And they always started off with like, it's robot fighting time. And then all the crowd starts yelling, fight, 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 fight. You guys remember that in elementary school, right? When two kids would start fighting each other and then the circle was done like, fight, fight. Anybody have that experience? Been in the middle? I hope not. Anyway, so the, uh, what's interesting is that's what we're doing together. We are gathering in this series called Champion to witness a fight, a real and serious fight, a fight that would be between the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, as he, would name, as he calls himself, and the Pharaoh and his gods. And what we see here is suddenly a, gi- a titanic clash that is going to come out of this uh, section of scripture that will forever change our world. It will forever engage us in uh, this thing that we understand as the Exodus. And so in these next 11 weeks, we're going to witness the blow-by-blow battle between God and Pharaoh against, you know, Mount Sinai and the pyramids. And and so we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to look into it. But really, uh, the engagement for me is, is kind of in this idea of fighting. Like, I, I, how many guys have ever been in a fight? How many here? Throw your hand up real quick. You actually have been in a real fight. All right, so um, I've been in like a couple fights as a little kid. It was more like push each other over and then I stand over you and you cry or whatever. That was about it. Not, not a real fist fight, literal fist fight thing. And so I've, I've rarely been punched. And so I kind of avoid fights because I don't really know what it's like to be really punched. And so I have certain expectations of what that might feel like. And I don't really want to experience it. So I, I avoided it completely, right? I have another friend of mine who, who grew up and his dad taught fighting, like taught martial arts. And so he's been punched plenty of times, knows what it feels like to take a punch, knows what it's like to give a punch. And it's funny, I'll talk to him. He's like, yeah, I don't want to get in fights either, but for totally different expectations and reasons, right? He's like, I just don't want to get punched anymore. And I don't really want to punch anybody anymore. It's kind of, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. And so two different expectations from experiences, two different groups of experiences that leads to the same conclusion. And so what I love about this is it illustrates a little bit about life, right? You and I hold two expectations. We hold expectations in our children. You hold expectations in your house. You hold expectations of your spouse. You hold expectations of your friends. And it comes from your experiences, You have particular experiences, maybe you've seen something on Instagram, maybe you've watched something on television, you've read a book, or you've had a certain experience growing up, and you've set an an expectation in your mind for how things should go. And when those expectations don't get achieved, you can get frustrated and angry, you can want to back off and, and blame somebody. There's all kinds of ways that we respond to expectations. And this is especially true for us when it comes to God. You see, our expectations about God come from our experience of God. And so some of us in this room today, you have had plenty of things happen in your life where you're going like, God, are you in this? What is going on here? Because your experience of God is of such a kind that you expected something. And this is exactly what we're going to see over and over and over again in the particular text that we just heard read and we're going to be looking at. So you have your Bibles open if you closed it. 
Open it back up. We're going back to Exodus chapter 5. If you're at home, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We'd love for you guys to join us outside. We're just glad you guys are with us today. Same thing. Open it up here. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive into where we left Israel off. Now, we left them off. They're 430 years in slavery, right? So these guys have been working hard under the kings of Egypt. And now Egypt's done with them. They they decided we're going to kill off these overgrown population of, of Hebrews. And so they start systematically killing off the, uh, the males when they're born. A genocide has hit. They call out to God. God re- brings about this guy, Moses, who grows up in Pharaoh's home. But Moses, thinking he's all that in a bag of chips, attacks a dude, kills him, and gets rejected. Lives out in Midian, which is another country. Um, and he lives there for 40 years until God goes, hey, Moses, I want you to go set the people free. I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let him go. And Moses is like, I don't want to. He goes, no, go. I don't want to. Okay, here's a sign. I don't want to. Okay, here's another sign. I don't want to. Here's your big brother. Fine, right? Okay, so I'm not going to be showing up by my big brother. And so he goes now, and they show up to the Israelites, and they say, here's what God did. And they show the signs, and they do the stuff, and Israel's like, this is awesome. That's where we left off. And so what they do is they grab Aaron and Moses and say, God's going to set us free, and they shove them into the presence of Pharaoh, and we pick up. Verse one, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, or I'm going to say it this way, thus says Yahweh. By the way, something interesting in your Bible, if you see where it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it won't be up here on the screen, but in your Bibles, if it's all caps like them, those mini caps, that is what's called, and here's a big word for you today, the tetragrammaton. Everybody say that with me now, tetragrammaton. All right, it means four the four consonants that make up the name of God, Y-H-W-H. It's where we get the word Yahweh. The reason you call it Lord is by the time after the first century, they stopped using his name. They used the word Adonai, which means Lord. And so what we have here is the name Yahweh. So I'm going to read it that way because this is a contest between the God Yahweh, that's his name, as he's expressed himself, and Pharaoh. And so when we read this, we say, in comes Aaron and Moses, and they say, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. How many just heard Charlton Heston in your head? Anybody? Okay. All right. Okay. Let my people. Now, what's interesting is is a better translation would be release my people. Not, hey, would you let my people go? Because that's how we can read it, right? Or you start singing, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. Okay. You didn't, whatever. So if you haven't heard that one, you're lucky. Okay. So what we see here is that this is a command. God's, God's told Aaron and Moses, go in there and tell Pharaoh, release my people. I don't know about you, but those are fighting words. I mean, he's literally proclaiming, I get to tell you, Pharaoh, what to do about my people. Well, Pharaoh's never really had much of an experience with Yahweh. I mean, his experience of Yahweh is probably nil. And so his expectations on Yahweh following up any kind of command is, is pretty much like, ha, who are you talking to? Notice how Pharaoh responds. But Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. Moreover, I'm not going to let Israel go. I mean, he, he just pretty much puts... It clearly. I don't know this God you're talking about. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. Now they've turned into pleading. They're like, well, please, please, come on, please let me do this. 
lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword, but the king of Egypt. And they note that in your Bible. It chased from Pharaoh to the king or the ruler of Egypt. Said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? You get back to your burdens. He commands them as ruler. And so suddenly we have this interesting situation. Pharaoh doesn't really care that Yahweh's commanded him. He doesn't really want to listen to Yahweh. He's not interested in Yahweh's commands about this people because they're his people in his mind. That's his experience. And so we need to realize something. This, is a, this should sound really familiar, right? Because you're an American. The last time I checked, we Americans, we don't like being told what to do. Amen? Let me put it this way. You don't like mandates. I mean, I don't care what side you're on. Nobody likes a mandate. Everybody's yelling, screaming about mandates, angry about mandates, all this stuff. And you're like, I like mandates. Okay, you didn't like when your parents did it to you as a kid. How's that? So I'll be real honest with ourselves, real fast, real quick, emotionally. And that's what I'm aiming at. I'm not aiming at actual mandates. I'm aiming at the emotion that catches us when somebody tells us what to do. Because I'm going to be awfully stubborn when somebody commands me, because guess what? Who are you to tell me what to do? I don't care who you are. I'm an American. Welcome to the United States. You can, you can feel what Pharaoh feels right away. And that's really important. Because when we get into this text, what you are facing is the fact that God shows up in our lives all the time to command us. I mean, how many more commands can we give out here? You are to give back to the church at least a tithe. Like if I was to put the command down, that's what he's saying to Christians. Be generous and give back to the church. Don't mix your tithe up with everybody else. The storehouse is the church. Give it there. Okay, let's try this one. You have gifts and services. Use it for each other in the church. Okay, how about, you know what? You have time. You're supposed to take a day off. Every week, one day, not to entertainment, not to yourself. You're supposed to spend time with God every week for a whole day. That's what God says. You know what? Let's go. Let's just make it easier. You like alcohol? Don't get drunk. You like sex? Only in marriage. All right. Okay, right there. Is anybody like, it feels like church, right? Okay, so <laughs> we get this feeling like pastors around telling everybody how to live lives. I'm like, you need to listen and obey. No, actually, we all understand one thing. If I, if I use the command voice, in America, we all instantaneously get this like, uh-huh, buddy, you in what army? We don't like it. Pharaoh didn't like it. In fact, oftentimes when we're commanded by God about something and we really don't think God's going to do anything about it, we go ahead and do whatever we want anyway. We'll go issue our own commands. That's what Pharaoh does. He issues his own command and he goes, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. You guys are lazy. You ask, you ask, you want to go, you want to go worship? Okay, here's what we're going to do. The king of Egypt said to the Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Verse five, get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters, the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks they made in the past, you shall continue to impose upon them. You're not going to reduce it by any means, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out, let's go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, and they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. 
So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh. Are we looking at a competition here? I think we are. Aaron and Moses, thus says Yahweh, all the taskmasters, thus says Pharaoh. Now what happens? He says, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. And Pharaoh does a direct command in contradiction to God's command. God says, let my people go that they may worship me. And Pharaoh goes, oh, you got time to go worship your God, huh? Well, then you got plenty of time to go get straw for yourselves. You ever had that happen when you were a kid? You like walked up to your dad and you're like, I'm bored. And he's like, awesome. I got a lot of chores for you to do right now, right? It's exactly what they're doing. You're like, I'm bored. Next thing you know, you're outside mowing the lawn. What happened? You know, this is is ridiculous. And that's the problem. Pharaoh heard the command of God. and He's like, oh, you're going to command the people. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to go make more bricks but they're going to go gather their own straw. They're going to do it themselves. And you know what? I don't really give a rip because this Yahweh's not going to stop me. He's not going to do anything to me. And so often when, we're, when commanded by God, we often issue our own commands. Something about it. We're like, God wants a tithe? He wants my money? He didn't earn that money. And then we turn around to our bosses and we go, hey, I want a raise. I want more money for me. He wants a day? God, give more time so I can do the stuff I want to do. I feel like you don't ever, ever have any time. I mean, we, we make our own issues and commands all the time to one another, all, all usually in contradiction to the fact that God is the one who makes the stuff. He rules the world. This is just who we are. I mean, when Hebrews is thinking about this, the author of Hebrews later in the New Testament, he actually writes it this way. Like, what happens to people who are rebellious and disobedient like this? To, and to whom did he swear that he, they would not enter his rest? That means into heaven. But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Like Pharaoh's barking up the wrong zone. When our flesh, when our hearts get caught up, we're in trouble. Because let's be quite honest, we are rebellious. And our hearts don't want it. We don't care. But in the end, God will, and indeed does, call us to task. We will be commanded, whether we listen or not. This is a hard part for me because, man, I know I'm going to get in trouble. So I'm I'm like one of those obedient kind of people. When you tell me, do something, I'm like, you're going to hurt me. Okay, I'll do it. Right? So you just go, anybody else like this? You're a little bit like, I'll do it. Okay. There's, that's the second response to commands is that we just, we just go, okay, I'll, I'll, yes, I will do it. But then we expect something out of it. Well, I did it. And this is Israel. Israel is going to obey. They, they saw God do these amazing miracles and they're like, Moses and Aaron, go, go do it. Obey. Tell him. Because they're expecting good stuff. They're, they're excited about what's going to come. But the problem is they, they get something else. Pick it up in verse 12. It says, so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work and your daily task each day. And when there was straw, and the foreman of the people of Israel, for whom Pharaoh's taskmasters said over them was beaten, note that, 
and was asked, why have you not done all that your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Now, what's interesting is all this brick talk is kind of fascinating. You got like bricks and you got people scattered and everywhere. And I'll go into this probably another time, but they're imaging uh, Pharaoh and Egypt in a very particular way. If you've read your Bible, you've already ran into this before where they had a bunch of bricks and they make a bunch of bricks and they put the bricks together and they make a giant tower called Babel. You guys remember that story? And God looks at Babel and goes, uh-uh, and he scatters the people. The only other time those words are really used together is in that story and here. In essence, what Pharaoh's being is he's trying to pretend he's God to scatter the people of Israel like God scattered the nations. So he is setting himself up as the rebel against them, and he's putting more suffering on God's people because he's the anti-position. This is setting up the fight. Pharaoh versus God. Pharaoh versus Yahweh. And so now we have this situation where the people have stepped out to obey and they are now getting beaten. So they're all freaked out. They're hurting. They're upset. And we pick up in verse 15, the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? What in the world is going on? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault's your own people. This is Pharaoh's response. But he said, you're idle. You're lazy. You're lazy. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice the Lord. Go. Work. Sweet. Um, Yes. Hello. I don't know what that is, so we'll have to cancel it. That's awkward. Mute. All right. That, I'd love that to be a cell phone so I could pick it up and go, God, huh? It's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> We've had some weird stuff happening on stage today, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. Have fun at home. Okay, so uh, pick it back up. So you got, uh, you got a Pharaoh basically calling him lazy, telling him, you got time, okay, go out, but no straw is going to give in to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. And the, here's the point, the last line. The foreman of the people saw of Israel saw that they were in trouble. They suddenly realized they are now in a massive issue. If they don't obey, they've just given Pharaoh the opportunity to call a, a basically an execution order for disobedience. And now they are stuck in this scenario where they're like, what in the world's happening? God, we, we stepped out and obeyed, and now we get punishment? It gets worse? See, Israel had an expectation. They had, they had experienced just earlier in chapter 4, like I had said, that Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses. And they did the signs in the sight of the people. They took the staff, threw it down, turned it into a serpent. They're like, oh! And then he goes, look, leprous hand. Oh, no more. And they're like, oh! And they're all excited. And they're like, so what do they do? They trusted the Lord. They believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seeing their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. You can hear them. They bowed their heads and they're like, you are good, good. Oh, oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let us down. Whack, build more bricks. Wait a minute. Anybody have a problem, feel a little frustrated trying to sing that lyric? Because you think, hey, God's never going to let us down. We're never going to be let down. I'll step out there. I'm going to get into that ministry. I'm going to step up and whack. Whoa, that didn't go well. Everybody's mad. People are complaining. This is awful. 
okay, I obeyed that pastor. I did those five things for my marriage. And you know what? It didn't work. I have my quiet time every day. I pray all the time. I make sure I give my money and I tithe. I love living, share Christ. You know what? It's dry as a bone. And so oftentimes when things go bad, when, when we don't expect them to, and you feel like, hey, I, I thought you never let me down, God, and it just gets worse, we get frustrated. I think of Adoniram Judson. I don't know if you guys ever know, heard of Adoniram Judson. He like, ooh, he was a Baptist missionary who was uh, one of the first men to ever enter into what we would call Myanmar today. He brought the gospel in there, even when William Carey was like, don't go there. This, this is not open. They'll kill you. It'll be awful. And Adoniram and his wife were like, his wife Anne was like, we're doing this. They march in. They go through Siam, which was the warring country. They move in, up there into Burma and they, they start preaching the gospel, immediately getting sick. Typhoid, cholera, all these problems. He gets arrested, thrown in a nasty prison for 17 months only to be released so he can be the, the guy who translates for the government now and his wife, Anne, dies. He has another wife, she dies. Of their 13 children, six of them die. One of his colleagues dies. And any experience that he has with intimacy is lost because anytime somebody's sick, they go for three months on a voyage back to England. Over and over and over, suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering, Adoniram Judson for 40 years serves obediently. And I never see really blessing. Man, man, if you're in that position or I was in that position, I don't know what you'd think because we get into such smaller things and immediate, we're just like, God, what are you doing? It's ridiculous. And so when things go bad, we look for some way to blame because we don't want to blame God. You know, we know, okay, God, you know, maybe it's somebody else, but I'll tell you what, we try to find people to blame. Israel tried to find somebody to blame. They were all so upset. They just figured it's Moses and Aaron's fault. Then they met up Moses and Aaron who were standing, waiting for them implied like they were standing outside listening to the conversation as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge. Yahweh look upon you and judge. You know, forget you guys, liars. You made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You put a sword in their hand to kill us. What's up with this? Come in, show us these signs and say, get out of here. Pharaoh has successfully driven a wedge between the leadership and the people between Yahweh and the people. I mean, he's winning this fight. He gets, the first, he gets the first shot in. And Israel's like down for the count. They're like, we don't know what to do. We're not listening to you guys. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're like, I'm trying try this olive branch out, the last place I'm trying, because you know what? I'm so sick and tired of all those pastors giving me all those things that don't work. In fact, that last pastor, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, there many people left here doing the same thing. I don't know. But there are a lot of people giving up on pastors nowadays. There's an entire industry right now in the podcast world picking on pastors and what they said and why they're this or why they're that. And you need to not listen. They're a heretic here and they're a heretic there. And I'm just going to tell you guys, those podcasts aren't helpful. Shut them down. These deemed heresy hunters aren't giving the grace enough to listen to a full so many years of people's messages to really find out what's going on to be a part of the congregation that those pastors are trying to teach and what they're trying to deal with. Guess what? Pastors say dumb things sometimes from pulpits. 
I do. I do it all the time. You guys just don't tell me. Come on. So let me know, you know, it's okay, right? We're going to do that. But to have some group out there, watchdogging everybody and pick them out, man, you know what you're going to get? You're going to just get more and more frustrated pastors. You're going to get watered down sermons. You're going to get all kinds of stuff. People afraid, but you know, we're ready to blame. Boom. Maybe you're not there. You're like, ah, it's not pastor's fault. (laughs) It's church's fault. And I just don't like organized religion. I have family members like that. Just go to church now, it's like, I have the organized church. I can be a Christian without the church. That's a person who's given up and found something to blame because it got hard. The worst one is people just go, you know what? Bottom line is this book is whack. We don't need to listen to it. It's dumb. Throw it out. I'm now an ex-evangelical, whatever we want to call ourselves, because, hey, it didn't go like I thought it should. It didn't go the way I wanted it to. Yeah, God, you obey God and you're supposed to get a blessing. You obey God and it's supposed to go good. And that's how we fundamentally think. And when it doesn't, we get frustrated and so we blame. And so suddenly Moses is sitting there going, he's getting blamed. And so what does he do? He's all frustrated because his experience with Yahweh is that Yahweh acts and does great miracles and does stuff and forces you to go talk about him. That's his experience. So Moses is all ticked. Now I'm getting blamed about this. So he walks over to the Lord and he says, the Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? It's like he said, I didn't ask to go. I tried to get out of it three times. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you've not even delivered your people at all. Wow. I'm going to talk about a resignation letter. That's incredible. You know what? It's all your fault. You evil God with your evil Pharaoh. I'm done. You forced me into this and I get blamed? And it's so sad, but if obedience doesn't give immediate blessing, we can be so disappointed that we want to quit. I mean, maybe you're sitting there and somebody's been like, you need to go to counseling for your marriage. Nope. You need to go to counseling for your marriage. Nope. You need to go to counseling for your marriage. Nope, I'll pay you to go. Maybe. And so you finally go. You sit down only to find out the counselor thinks it's all your fault. And you're like, I'm never going back. Finally give in. It's all my fault. Everything's my fault. How many of you guys have had that experience? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. The, the problem is that we have these experiences all the time. Somebody's goading you. Yeah, you'd be great at that ministry. You'd be great at that ministry. You'd be great at that. Fine. Step out. It blows up in your face. You've cared for these people and they just turned around and looked at you and like, I hate you. I hate what you did. And you're like, all I did was try to help you. It'll happen over and over and over again. And if you don't get that immediate blessing, man, we can get to that place where we're just ready to quit. That's what Moses was thinking. You're supposed to deliver us. You didn't do it. What's all the deliverance talk? Apparently it's gotten worse. To the point where Moses is ready to just look at God and say, you know what the problem is, dude? You're evil. Do you see that? Look at, look, at, look at how he put it. I find this incredible. Then Moses turned to the Lord, talking to Yahweh, and said, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Let's just emphasize the fact that in verse 23, he goes on, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You and Pharaoh, same thing. Dude, you hear God like lighting the match for hell? Like, okay, here we go. You ready for some punishment? I mean, that's how we think about God, right? 
I mean, what does God do when he starts pushing in like this? When we're sitting there going, I sang, you're never going to let me go. I know the promise. I can quote it from the scriptures. You didn't fulfill it. And I met people like that. You have too. Because we have this wrong idea that God was supposed to follow our plan. But the real problem is we don't know God like we think we do. In essence, all of these people have set up their expectations about God because of their prior experiences. But guess what? We do the same thing. And I'm going to guarantee you probably don't know God like you think you do. And we set up expectations on him that are based on false ideas or false experiences. And we need to back up and remember, okay, God is God. I'm not, I've got to really do this. I got to really lean in. I know he's not evil, but I sure feels like he is. I know he's not bad, but I sure, I sure want to like, want to give up right now. I'd rather have the short joys of sin than the blessings of a long obedience. And many of us have given into the short joys of sin and rejected the blessing of a long obedience. Because a long obedience is hard. But God doesn't get mad at us when we get mad. He's not going to crush Moses here. I, I'm surprised. In fact, what Moses is, is doing is horrible. And yet what God says is, you know, here, I'm going to give you a response. And God answers by inviting all of us who struggle in all these ways into experiencing who he really is. We rebel against his command. He says, come here, let me tell you who I really am. If we're frustrated because it's gotten worse, he's like, come here, let me show you who I really am. If we're standing there belligerent and ready to quit, he's like, come here, let me tell you who I really am. Come in, come in, come in. I'm not shutting the door in your face. I want you to know me. Notice how he puts it. Exodus chapter six, we'll pick it up in verse two. He said, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or it might read El Shaddai, also could be translated like God of the mountain. There's a lot of interesting background in that conversation, but it goes on. But my, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't use the name. A lot of people are like, see, he never used Yahweh, but I find it in Genesis. You know, it means I didn't fill it out. You guys, like, let, me, let me illustrate this for, for a second. You, when I meet you, I'm going to ask your name then I'm going to forget it. And next time I meet you again, I'm going to ask you for your name and I'm going to forget it. This is how it works. But the point is that when, you, when we meet you and we give each other our names, it doesn't mean a lot until I start finding out about you, where you work and how many kids do you have and are you married or, you know, where were you born and how'd you come to Corona? And, you know, eventually as life starts to roll and you start sharing your life, your name becomes more and more important. You see, in consolidated into your name is your stories, all of who you are, all those experiences and all those things. That's you, your name. So when Yahweh says, this is my name, he's talking about all the consolidated experiences that are attached to that name. And they don't have any because Yahweh has not really been the name he was using to, to show forth his glory and his wonder. And so when God knows your name, he knows you from your beginning at your birth and all your ancestors and how they poured into you to who you are all the way into eternity. He knows your name. Because he's experienced you fully and completely. But we need to experience God. And he says, so come here. I want to show you who I am, Moses. I want to show Israel who I really am. I'm going to use this situation, this fight, and you're going to learn who Yahweh is. 
And what God does today is he doesn't invite you in to come learn who Yahweh is. He says, no, no, I've got, a, I've got an even greater name now. I've got a name that is above all names. I want to invite you in to come experience me as Jesus. Jesus ain't just some dude walking around in the first century. He is the God man himself showing us the glory of God, the wonder of God, who he is that we would lean in and, ex- and get to know him so much so that you can experience him. And, he, and God invites us then in Christ through his work that continues today to say, come experience me, come in. You may be going through stuff. Well, come meet me, come see me. I'm ready to reveal myself in Jesus. For Israel, he begins it this way. God first invites them to experience him as promise keeper. And he invites us in the same way. Not the men's promise keeper events, but like a covenant keeper. Somebody who holds it of a covenant. Now a covenant again is a promise backed by law. And in their world, a promise backed by the willingness to sacrifice your life if you fail. And that was the picture that that was given in the covenant. You cut a covenant. You cut open something to show, this is what happens to me if I break the covenant. And so he says, I also established my covenant with them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, previous verse, to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as soldiers. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Sure, you may think I forgot because it's been a long time since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sure, you may think I have forgotten my covenant because you're going through really hard times, but I remember. And when God says he remembers something, it's not like he's like, oh yeah, That covenant thing I did, totally, I put that in the closet and totally forgot about it. No. He's going, no, I'm putting it at the top of my to-do list. It's, It's ready. Now I'm ready to get active. I'm ready to get moving. I remembered my covenant. And you may be going through stuff right now. You may be going through suffering. You may be going through all kinds of garbage. You may think that I obeyed God and it's a mess or I disobeyed God and it's a mess. Whatever it is, just understand God's inviting you in to come see that he is the covenant keeper. He said, I'm forgotten. In fact, he gave us, the nations, a new covenant. We're not Israel. We got a new covenant, a new exodus, a whole new set of things for us. And what's beautiful about this is our covenant that he gave to us is the one where he says, I'm not going to give you laws. I'm going to write them on your heart. I'm going to take your hardened heart. I'm going to soften. I'm going to give you life. Not only that, I'm going to wipe away your sins so you're forgiven and, you, and then you can know me and you don't have to have anybody tell me about you anymore. You're just going to know me because my spirit is going to be with you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to adopt you as sons and daughters. This is all in the new covenant conversation. And along comes Jesus who faithfully lives all of his life. And then he comes to a night that we celebrate every month here at Olive Branch. Some churches do it every week. Some do it every once in a while. But we call it communion. And when you you listen, listen to the words that are used when it comes to the cup. First we say, this is the bread and this is my body. And then he says, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. There's the words in my blood. Every covenant needed blood to be cut. And Jesus is the blood that cuts the covenant. When he rose from the dead, a new covenant has come. A new covenant that's better than the old one that they broke. The one that comes to all of us because Jesus bore our sins. That's why we're wiped wiped clean. 
He rose from the dead. That's why our hearts become new. He ascended into heaven. That's why we have the spirit of the presence of God, not with us, but in us. And the beauty of what Jesus did there is that he came and he gave us this new covenant so that no matter what we go through, we can see that he has done a greater thing. So here's your homework. You really want to understand this. Go home today or in this week, read the book of Hebrews. One sitting. It'll take you about 30, 45 minutes. But the book of Hebrews is all about one idea. And that is how Jesus is, is the bearer of a better covenant. And it will, it will orient you to this whole conversation. But the bottom line is, if you're going to know God as the covenant keeper, you're going to have to see Jesus. Because it's at the cross that he bore our sins. It's in his ascension. He gives us the spirit. And that spirit is powerful. My friends, I want you to hear me. If you're going through suffering, if you're going through a difficulty, if you're fighting a temptation, if you're going through any of these things, you need to understand the spirit of God is with you as a down payment promise to what is coming. Unlike Israel, they didn't get a down payment. We did. And here's where he says this. It's in Ephesians. Paul's writing says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your rescue, your salvation, and trusted in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? That's the word down payment. He is the first piece. Like when you were going to take out and you're going to buy, somebody's going to buy something from you, you, they give you a down payment. It's a promise that the rest is going to come. And he goes, here, this is the down payment. I am giving you the presence of the spirit of God. That's why you're convicted about your sin when you sin. The spirit of God is in you. That's why the word of God electrifies and lights up where it once felt like a dead book because the spirit of God is in you. That's why when you gather around other Christians, there's a unity with these Christians from other countries that you didn't even realize you should have. And you're like, I feel closer to you than people at home. Why? That's why you have a sudden ability to start breaking old sinful habits you didn't even realize were a problem. And suddenly they're being freed. Because the spirit of God dwells within you to transform you and to set you free. It's the down payment of a freedom we will have when Christ returns completely. And so when you're in the suffering, in the struggle, what Jesus is saying is, remember, come experience my covenant keeping. Remember the spirit is with you. Gather people around. Let us pray over you. Be together. It's why church, I'm going to tell you at home, why being in the body is so critically important. I know you may be an introvert and you're scared of COVID and you're like, oh, you know, it, as long as you're not going to die from COVID, introverts are not created to be away from everyone. It's not an excuse. I'm an introvert, a very big introvert. You're like, no, you're not. You're on stage. We love stages. <laughs> okay. Because it's just me talking. Introverts love to talk. But my point is that it is, it is draining and I want to be left alone. But no, no, no. God wants me to be around people. Because his spirit is in us as the church, unified and gathering us to know him together. We need each other because we've been saved into a covenant community in Jesus. And so just remember when you're going through the suffering that God will ask him, show yourself, help me here. And, and, and through other people and other things, it's like he shows up. It's almost like that guy with the treasure map in the movies, you know, like Goonies and stuff. I, I love those movies. It's like, it's a treasure. You're like, whoa, how do I know it's real? He's like, dumps out a bunch of coins and things like, there's more from where that came from. Every time the spirit works in your life, God's saying there's more from where this came from. 
Be patient. Be patient. The promise is coming. So he invites us to experience him as the covenant keeper. He invites us then to experience him as the deliverer. Notice what he says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So there's, I will deliver you. There's our word from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. It goes on to say, I'm going to take you to be my people. I'm going to get, I'm going to pull you out. I will bring you out. I'll bring you out. And how many eyes do we need in one paragraph, by the way? Who's going to deliver you? Not five things from a sermon. I guarantee you, if Christ doesn't deliver you through his cross, those five things ain't going to do anything for you. Go home and read a Bible all day long. Go home and practice every good practice you possibly can. There's no guarantee, apart from the deliverance of Jesus, anything changes. Because our sin breaks everything, even a good five list that's found in the Bible. Only Christ breaks sin. He delivered us, as Paul would say later. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. So he's willing to suffer to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, what's interesting about this is if it took Christ to suffer in order to deliver us, shouldn't that indicate that we're going to go through something as we're delivered? Yes, I know people are like, why am I still suffering? Why am I still being persecuted? Why am I going through something? Because when he delivered us, there's an enemy still afoot called your flesh and the devil, and he would love to attack and tempt, and your flesh would love to continue in sin. Here's the thing. They lost. They know it. And so they're furiously trying to keep you impotent and incapable. Why not bind you up in sin that you can't get your mind off of? Why not make you feel like a rotten, miserable person having to ask Jesus for forgiveness all the time? He wouldn't forgive you that many times. Yes, he would. He delivered you. So let's rise up and begin to fight again against sin because it's over. It can't win. He delivered you by his blood so that you don't have to to fall under the persecutions of the world. They will be over. You can endure, and he's present with you, so you can. And we see this in Christ, and you can read it in all kinds of people like Adoniram Judson, who for those 40 years suffered and suffered and suffered, so that in 1984, when they counted the Baptist, only the Baptist churches founded by him in 1984 that were left, 3,700 churches remained with over 1,900,000 people involved. He never saw any of it because it wasn't about him. There was a country he was headed to that was far greater. There was a land that God was exodusing him to that that he just wanted as many of the Burmese people to go with him as possible. And it was worth the suffering because there was a great promise and a great covenant and a great picture ahead. And finally, because he knew what we all can experience, that God is in control, even in the suffering. That's what he tells Moses. He says, verse one, actually, of chapter six, I skipped it on purpose to bring it here. He says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I love this. For the strong hand, and I believe that means my strong hand, he's gonna send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God says, it looks bad, I'm in control. You think he's got me on the ropes? I'm toying with him. I'm gonna show you how good I am at this. You're going to know my name. And I'm going to drive 
him to drive you guys out. Where have we seen this before? Except for the fact that the worst moment in history when God himself would come in human form was being crucified on a cross in the darkest hour. He was busy in full control. And you, who were dead, you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. When did he do that? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All the legal demands of being destroyed were done on the cross. It was punished. In other words, you think a strong arm's coming at you because you're rebellious like Pharaoh? You're right. But there is a cross that can get in the way. There is a strong arm coming and it's going to bring a judgment. But ultimately the cross stands to bear it all if you will let it. And so Jesus stood there taking the punishment, hung there receiving the blow, and we were set free. And he disarmed then the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. In the darkest hour, God won because he's in fully control. You think it's getting dark right now Egypt, in Egypt? Nope. I'm still in control. I'm going to win, and you're going to see so that you will know who I am. We will know his name. We'll know him as Jesus. We'll know him as Yahweh, and we will walk in freedom. So I want to encourage you today. You may be one of these people who's broken in spirit because Moses would go and tell all these things to the people, but they would wind up not able to hear it because they were broken. Their spirit had been dashed. And you may find yourself, your spirit dashed and broken. I want to encourage you, do not remain there. Gather again in community. Come back and let us love and care for you. Those of us who can stand need to lift one another up. You're struggling in temptation. You need a place to confess because it is the community that the Spirit of God dwells in that enables you to find encouragement and movement forward. If you're in the driest times of your life, you need to be near someone who's on fire for Jesus. We don't do this alone. He redeemed us as a people and we need this, this centerpiece of our Lord with us. And it's why we gather again. Yes, I'm going to tell you, go back to the refreshment of scripture. Go back to the refreshment of prayer. Go back to these things and don't just read it. Stop and think about it. Engage it. Allow it to saturate your soul. And then regather again. So much of what we need is each other and so much of what we receive is the power to gather because we have the Spirit of God within us. Because he is our Redeemer. He enables us then to walk in him. I can't wait for us to really meet our champion. But you just heard, the, you just heard his card called out. In this corner, you got Pharaoh. And over here, you have your redeeming, covenant-keeping, in-control champion. And we know his name. His name is Jesus. Amen? That's who we're going to look to. But maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, okay, I got a strong arm coming at me. Yep, the rebels have a strong arm on its way. But again, you can allow Christ on his cross, to bear that strong arm, to give you life, to bring that covenant into your soul, the experience of God himself, the very presence of God, namely the spirit, live in you. But you got to do one thing. What? I got to do something? Yeah. Just receive it. Just receive it. It's not even doing something. 
It's just receiving something. God did it all for you. You don't go clean yourself up. He has offered you the gift of eternal life. He has offered you the gift of his son to bear his judgment and wrath. Will you receive it? If you will, just I'm going to give you a chance to right now. Just bow your heads with me, everybody. If that's you today and you, you know you need to receive it, right where you're at, just turn to God and say, God, I know that a strong arm is after me. I'm a rebel. And I trust that Jesus on the cross got in the way of that judgment. Will you please give me life? Forgive me of that sin and now come lead me in victory. I trust you in your gift. God, for those in this room who are in suffering and struggling today who know you, God, would you refresh them? Would you bring them near you? Would you allow your covenant-keeping spirit who is with us to awaken our souls where they are dead, to convict us where we need to conviction, to gather us where we need to be gathered, that you would lead us in victory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you did receive that, I want to give you that opportunity to let us know using either online or we've got these cards in the seats that uh, you can see right there. It says commitment. And you just let us know. We want to connect with you and help you move forward. And uh, there's a lot of steps coming up. And I'm going to let Justin tell you about the steps. So thank you, guys. All right, Justin, after you, man. Thanks, Greg. I hope, I hope you guys are looking forward to, I mean, the rest of this series. I mean, I know talking with people earlier, getting to listen to this two times, even for me. I mean, it's just encouraging to hear um, so much of these reminders, things we know, but sometimes forget, you know, especially in the middle of those hard times, the suffering, the difficulty. And, you know, one thing Greg mentioned is how often when we're going through those challenging times, those times of suffering, we need others. Um, and one thing I was reminded of is often in the crisis, when we're in that time of suffering, we want community, but that's often the last, like it's too late almost at those times to find community. And so one thing I want to encourage you to think about is if you don't have a community of people to think about either doing what I mentioned earlier, like James and um, Tara Lee did, and maybe starting a group as we start this new year together, or maybe joining a group to find some community with you. On your way in today, you got this uh, next step handout, and uh, just would encourage you wherever you're at in your faith to just think about what's next for me, to keep growing, keep moving forward, keep going um, uh, further as we uh, are almost done with the month of January, which is hard to believe, um, and uh, move into February. And I know last week it was encouraging. I talked to one woman. She's been at the church maybe a year, year and a half, and she just kind of been staying on the sidelines and just felt like, you know what? I need to jump in. I need to start connecting with people, start growing. So she jumped into our membership class. She's going to join the Love Christ study that starts next week. Um, and uh, just begin to connect with people and grow closer to Christ as well. And so we just encourage you to think about the same thing. I know uh, myself, the rest of my team, we'd love to talk with you if any of those things resonate um, with you. And the final thing I just want to mention um, before we uh, leave today is just if there's a burden on your heart or something maybe this week that's coming up that you're just not looking forward to or you maybe you're nervous about, just would really encourage you before you leave to meet our prayer team in the back. If you're inside, if you're outside, there should be someone from the prayer team there too, um, just to receive that prayer. 
Have them pray over whatever's going on in your life right now, because the last thing we want is for you to leave and to still be carrying that with you as well. Um, so glad that you guys have been with us today. Hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Um, enjoy. It's so beautiful out today, and so I hope you get to enjoy that, get to connect with each other. Um, and again, just grateful that you're here today. God bless.